Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 84 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. Thank you for giving me some of your time today, and I hope this episode finds you well. We're on part two of our three-part British Invasion series, and since I have no ado for today, let's get right into today's phrases, origins, history, and more. Richard told me that if you're being sent to Coventry, then someone is deliberately not talking to you. The Coventry being referenced in the saying is a city in the West Midlands, which is in western central England. There's some uncertainty to the saying's origin, but many think it's related to the events that took place in Coventry during the English Civil War. The war spanned from 1642 to 1651 and was a series of armed conflicts that were basically being fought over the way England was being governed. One theory for the origin of this phrase comes from royalist troops who were captured in Birmingham, then taken to Coventry as prisoners. They were not treated well by the locals, and would have been ignored and ostracized, just like the saying implies. Another theory suggests that the saying comes from when Lady Godiva made her historic naked horse ride through Coventry. Although there is debate as to whether the scandalous parade actually happened, the legend maintains that everyone was ordered to avert their eyes. One man, a tailor named Thomas, snuck a peek and became the first ever Peeping Tom. He was shunned for his transgression, perhaps even blinded or killed. No matter how the saying really got started, it's considered to have been first used in print in an idiomatic way in 1765. It was recorded in the logbook of the Tarpoli Hunt Club and said, quote, Mr. John Barry, having sent the foxhounds to a different place to what was ordered, was sent to Coventry, but returned upon giving six bottles of claret to the hunt. End quote. Now, let's take a look at flying crows. As the crow flies means to go in a straight line. I use this one a lot, so it has crossed the pond, but let's see where it started. This idiom can be traced back to 1767, where it was written in the London Review of English and Foreign Literature, written by William Kenrick, an English novelist and playwright. He included this quote, The Spaniard, if on foot, always travels as the crow flies, which the openness and dryness of the country permits. Neither rivers nor the steepest mountains stop his course. He swims over the one and scales the other. End quote. Seventy years later, we find the use that likely made the saying more popular. Charles Dickens used it in his novel Oliver Twist, which was written in 1837. He wrote, quote, We cut over the fields at the back with him between us, straight as the crow flies, through hedge and ditch. End quote. So this one is definitely British in origin, but is it true? 
Well, a crow could most certainly get somewhere easier by flying than we can by walking, because the crow wouldn't have to go around any obstacles. Crows aren't known for being the most straight-flying bird, though, often seen flying in large arcs and circles as they look for food or watch over their nest. However, in old-timey times, crows were sometimes kept on ships and let go when the sailors were looking for land. The birds would instinctively fly towards land, making them a great tool for navigation. This is likely why they became the bird in the saying, rather than it being a reference to how straight they actually fly. Now, let's put in some effort. In for a penny, in for a pound is another phrase that's also used here in the States. It means that you really put in the effort to accomplish something, no matter what it takes. The original meaning had to do with debt, or rather the non-payment of debt. In old-timey times, the penalty for not paying back an owed penny was almost as severe as not paying back a full pound. People would say something like, well, if you're in debt for a penny, you might as well be in debt for a pound. In for a penny, in for a pound is a bit less of a mouthful, so that's how the saying came about. No one knows exactly who came up with it or when, but it was in use by at least the 17th century. Thomas Ravencroft, an English musician, editor, and theorist, wrote a comic play called Canterbury Guest in 1695. In it, he wrote, quote, Well then, or shoes, or boots, and in for a penny, in for a pound. End quote. Over time, the idea of, if you owe a penny, you might as well owe a pound, has morphed into the modern-day meaning of, if you're going to do something, do it to the best of your ability. So, from paying your debts to doing a task well, this saying has grown in popularity and is unlikely to fade from use anytime soon. Now let's talk about something unpopular. If you wouldn't touch someone or something with a barge pole, then you wouldn't touch them or it at all. Here in the States, I've always heard it said as, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Unless we're talking about the Grinch, who apparently Dr. Seuss wouldn't even touch with a 39-and-a-half-foot pole. Anyway, a barge pole is the long wooden pole used to push barges along in the water, especially in old-timey times. The term is considered to have originated in the UK, as evidenced by a definition from an 1846 book called Scrapbook, being a selection of poems, songs, scraps, etc., which was written by a man that was referred to both as Edward Farmer and Ned Farmer. I couldn't confirm exactly who this man was, but he included this definition of barge pole in his book. Quote, Barge pole, a large stick or thick bow, also generally used for any large piece of wood. End quote. But there's a twist with this saying. Even though barge pole is from the UK, the saying is not. This one actually started in the States. At least three years before the term barge pole is thought to have been coined, the 10-foot version of the saying was already being used by American Masons. In the official magazine of the Grand Lodge of the United States, in an 1843 edition that was edited by Freemason James Ridgely, we find this quote. 
but that mushroom aristocracy of our country, who would not condescend to touch a poor man with a ten-foot pole, were their extraction traced, in nine cases out of ten, they were nurtured in the squalid huts of poverty. End quote. Sorry, Richard, this one is not British in origin. Well, the barge pole version is, just not the saying in its entirety. Now, let's take a nap. To be in the land of Nod means to be asleep. To explore this one, we need to look at the word Nod. This can mean to simply make a quick movement up and down with your head, or to have your head move down involuntarily due to sleepiness. Because of the second meaning, it can also simply mean to doze off. The word itself comes from the Middle High German word Noten, which meant to move around or shake. But fear not, Richard, this saying isn't German. But if you want to get technical, it's not British either. It's older. Much older. We gotta go to the Bible for the roots of this one. The Hebrew root for the word to wander, which I can't pronounce, is nod, which I can pronounce. After Cain murdered his brother Abel, he was sent to the land of Nod, which is described as a place east of the Garden of Eden. This means that Cain was basically just sent to wander aimlessly in disgrace for his sin. Once the word Nod became the verb meaning up and down head movement, this more literal wandering became more of an idiomatic one. Now we wander into our dreams, entering the land of Nod as we lower our heads. The first known use in print of the exact saying comes from Irish satirist, poet, and cleric Jonathan Swift. In 1738, a book he'd written a decade or two earlier was published. It was titled A Complete Collection of Genteel and Ingenious Conversation, According to the Most Polite Mode and Method Now Used at Court and in the Best Companies of England. In it, several characters are having a discussion using phrases considered at the time to be cliché, and one of them, after others talk about someone going to sleep, states that he is going to the land of Nod. Now, there is a statement in the book that says, quote, There is not one single witty phrase in this whole collection which hath not received the stamp and approbation of at least one hundred years. End quote. So, if this is true, then the Land of Nod had been a saying since at least the early 17th century. So, from the Bible to a book of satire, this phrase has been on quite a journey. And with that, it's time for today's familiar quotation. Topper's today's familiar quotation is from Henry Hitchings. Here's what he had to say about being English. Quote, the readiness of the English to apologize for something they haven't done is remarkable. End quote. Thank you, Mr. Hitchings, for giving us today's familiar quotation. All right, toppers, it's time for today's For Better or For Words, love advice from old-timey times. Remember that this advice is over a hundred years old, and I'm sharing it for entertainment purposes only. Now, let's hear from the ladies first. 
Don't omit to pay your husband an occasional compliment. If he looks nice as he comes in dressed for the opera, tell him so. If he has been successful with his chickens or his garden or his photography, compliment him on his results. Don't let him have to fall back on self-esteem all the while for want of a little well-directed praise. And now for the men. Don't hesitate to mention the fact when you think your wife looks especially nice. Your thinking so can give her no pleasure unless you tell her your thought. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 84. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnaphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, for details about the music I use in the show, and much more. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, thanks for stopping by. Toodaloo! Let me rephrase. And was a series of armed conflicts. Conf mm, that sounded weird. Another theory suggests that the saying comes from when Lady Godiva made her her her, her but returned upon giving six bottles of claret. Wait, I don't drink wine. I don't know how to say this. Claret. Claret. Really. Claret. Okay. This idiom can be traced back to 16... Si nope, that's... I mixed up the numbers. It's not that old. However... Oops. However, in old-timey time... Nope, nope, I totally skipped two So, from paying your debts to doing a task... Nope, nope. But that mushroom aristoc... Oh, aristocrats. Aristocrat. Aristocracy. 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 I knew that. To explore this one, we need to lurk it. Lurk. We need to lurk at it. Take a good lurk. To explore this one, we need to look at the word nod. This can mean do... No. The word itself comes from a Middle High German word. No. The word itself comes from Middle High German. The word itself comes from the Middle High German word comes from Irish cleric nope 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 nope